All right, I want to uh, open us up in a word of prayer, so if you would join me. Uh, God, thank you for this time to gather digitally, Lord, to spend time worshiping you through song, to spend time in your word. Uh, Lord, though our church body is scattered, uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would still unite us together. Uh, I pray that as we engage in the word together, God, I pray that as we're praying alongside each other and worshiping those separated by distance, we're worshiping together. God, I pray that there would be a, a spirit of unity that exists among our church family. God, would you speak through your word? Uh, would your Holy Spirit take this, press it into our hearts? God, speak to us about what it is to have faith, what it looks like to have faith during this particular time. God, I pray you would challenge us. Uh, I pray you would convict and encourage. God, I pray that uh, you would bring peace to us through your word. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want to start with... Um, a little bit of a story. Now, I've never been to like Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, that kind of northern region of our country, but I've flown over it. And I've seen how beautiful it is from the window of a Boeing 747. And I remember flying over that when I was in college and thinking it would be so beautiful to drive through that. And now, the actual physical place would be the same, but the scenery would be very different. And then it would be different again if I got out of a car and I actually walked through that space. So you could see it from above, you could see it going, you know, let's say 60 miles an hour in a car, or you could see it at the slow pace of a walk. Hebrews chapter 11 is one that most people are familiar with. It's the Faith Hall of Fame, if you will. Um, and there are a lot of ways we could approach this. We could walk through it, see each of the individual characters and pull out some specifics about what faith looks like. Faith is courageous. Faith is obedient. Faith makes sacrifices. That is a wonderful and valuable way to approach this section of scripture. In fact, I would even invite you, we're going to spend two weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. I would invite you to use the, that two weeks of time and just one character at a time, go back into the Old Testament, read their story, and ask yourself specifically, what does their life teach me about what it looks like to have faith in God? That's a, a wonderful, valuable activity. We're not going to take that exact approach, though. We're going to do more of the flyover, look at this from 30,000 feet sort of thing. We're going to take the big picture and ask ourselves three questions about faith. Where does faith begin? What is faith composed of? And what is faith's result? Those are the three questions we're going to handle this morning. And we're going to do that in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 22. We're actually going to kind of anchor ourselves, though, in a couple of places. We're going to spend most of our time in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then also in verse Six. Then we're at the end, we're going to kind of pull in from all of the Old Testament examples that the author of Hebrews gives. But here's where I want you to participate with us. Rather than me reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 22, I actually want you to do it there where you are. And I want you to do it out loud, even if you're the only person in your room. And so uh, you can actually go ahead, pause this video and read Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 22. It's going to take you a couple minutes because that's a lot of verses. So go ahead and hit pause. Read that passage out loud in your room. And while you do, someone there with you, count the number of times the phrase by faith is used. 
you can edit out of this chunk, right? So we'll put a graphic up that has that passage, let them pause and read, and then it can cut back to me. No, 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 just the reference. Oh, just the reference. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right, in this passage, we're going to get the answer to our three questions. Where does faith begin? What is faith composed of? And what is faith's result? All of Hebrews chapter 11 is in response to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. Now, if you've got your Bible open, look just one verse up there. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. And then the author of Hebrews holds out all of this chapter 11 as an example of who we are as people who have faith and are saved. He says, let me show you now what it looks like to have faith. And so our first question is, where does faith begin? And that's I want to direct us to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. Where does faith begin? And I want to offer you an answer that might be a little bit surprising. In fact, it's something I mentioned in our message last week, and that's this. Faith begins with discontent. What is Hebrews 11 verse 1 say, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, proof of what is not seen. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, and we only hope for something when we're discontent with what currently exists. Let me lay a little bit of like philosophical groundwork here, because the reality is when we think about faith, we think in a Christian sense. We think about Jesus and faith in his work on the cross, and that's a wonderful way to think about faith, but everyone has faith in something. Why? Because everyone is discontent at some level. That's part of what it is to be a fundamentally uh, broken person who lives in a fundamentally broken world. Matt Chandler says it like this, the foundational element of faith is a discontented heart. It is the realization that although as Americans we are well-fed, well-clothed, we are safe, we are protected, there are hospitals and police at our fingertips, despite the fact that we are safe, Despite the fact that we have all we need to live life well, there is something gnawing at us saying there has to be more. In a broken world where everything is far from perfect, almost everything we experience leaves us longing for something better, leaves us longing for something that's just less disappointing. We cannot help but hope for something better. We're always asking ourselves, is this really it? Is this all that the world has to offer me? We're all hoping for something. Faith is what we look to because we think it has the ability to bring to reality the thing that we're hoping for. Again, when we talk about faith, we put it in, an, in a Christian sense. And A.W. Tozer offers a fantastic definition of Christian faith. Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. That's A.W. Tozer's definition. The gaze of a soul upon a saving God. Let's work with that a little bit, though, because at a, at a fundamental philosophical level, we all have faith in something, something that we are hoping will solve our discontent problems. You can have faith in something other than a saving God. There's faith that has nothing to do with Christianity. Let me just use kind of a silly example. In the Super Bowl, at the start of the fourth quarter, 
the Chiefs were losing big. And I thought to myself, there has to be something better. There's got to be a better outcome for this than what I seem to think is about to happen. And then later in the fourth quarter, after a flurry of Patrick Mahomes magic, I thought to myself, ah, yes, my hope has become reality. My faith that something better could happen. And why did I have that faith? Because I had seen it happen against the Houston Texans, that we could come from a big deficit and win a game. And then in the Super Bowl on the biggest stage, it became reality. Simple kind of silly example. Put that into like real life, kind of deepest level heart sort of terms. Whatever a person hopes for, they could place their, some, their faith in something other than God to meet that hope. So we could say, to take A.W. Tozer's definition and expand it, that faith is whatever our soul gazes upon to fulfill our deepest hopes. Whatever our soul gazes upon to fulfill our deepest hopes. Now, in a Christian sense, we gaze upon a saving God. We look to Jesus Christ on the cross and our faith, our soul's gaze, our hope rests upon him. What anyone is doing with their faith is searching for the thing upon which they can rest their hope. That thing that will turn their discontentment into contentment. There's a great illustration of this. It's actually, I heard it from J.D. Greer. And so I just want to borrow it. Picture a boulder, like a giant boulder, not, not a rock. So whatever immediately popped into your head, think bigger a boulder, and a toothpick. When you put your hope on any earthly thing, it's like trying to balance that boulder on top of that toothpick. Now, it might hold up for a while, and depending on the size of the boulder that you pictured in your head, it's probably not gonna hold up very long. Eventually, that toothpick is going to break. Your soul is a heavy thing. Your hope is a heavy thing. And whatever you try to rest that upon, Whatever you try to rest your soul upon, whatever you try to rest your hope upon, it had better be sturdy enough to hold up. The reality is most of us, particularly those of us who are not Christians, who haven't placed our faith in Jesus Christ and received God's grace for our salvation, we walk around with a kind of gnawing, constant discontent. And that's because everything that we look to place our hope upon, put the gaze of our soul upon, it eventually crumbles. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you spend some time after this service is done asking yourself some hard questions, probing kind of into the depths of who you are. We've all got time for that now. Probing deeply and asking yourself, what is my hope teetering on top of? How many times has that thing let me down? What is my discontent? If you're a Christian, you can do this too because typically when we feel the most deflated, the most discouraged, the most hopeless, it's because functionally, even if just momentarily, we've shifted our gaze onto something unstable and then we've watched it collapse. Just think about this last week of your life as it uh, relates to kind of the social distancing measures put in place because of COVID-19. I think all of us are feeling a rather poignant sense of discontent right now. We're looking around at the world and we're saying to ourselves, so this is it, huh? 
viruses running rampant, governments in confusion, store shelves empty, certain populations of people at a high risk for not just contracting a disease, but possibly dying, churches closing, schools on long breaks, distance from our family and our friends. This is what it is to be human, huh? This is all there is? There has to be something more. And then something happens inside of you. Immediately, each one of us will look in hope to something for contentment. We'll take the heavy weight of our justifiable discontent and we will place it somewhere. Let me give you some options. Maybe you've placed it on information and knowledge. If I could just gather all the information that's out there, then I could feel safe and my hope could be met. And then if you've paid attention at all, it's like the information is shifting all the time. Sometimes it's even conflicting and that toothpick breaks. Maybe you're someone who's at home with kids now, and you're looking at two weeks or maybe even longer of trying to figure out how it is that you do school from home, and you're thinking, if I just get the right schedule in place, all of this will work, and I will find contentment. Well, it's not going to be long until your third grader decides that your schedule isn't exactly the one that they want to operate on. And then what? Your toothpick breaks. If you thought that investments in your bank account was the place that your discontent was going to find contentment, uh, good luck there. If you think social interaction in some digital form is going to be the thing that ultimately gives you hope and contentment in this season, it's always going to be lacking. We, can't, we simply cannot make up the fullness and kind of the three-dimensional reality of getting to interact with each other when we've got to do so through screens. Maybe you're looking toward government or organizational leadership to kind of make everything smooth and right in your life, but they're never going to get all of it right because we've never really made decisions in this kind of an environment before. Maybe it's some sense of personal autonomy inside of you, something that says, I can still make my own decisions and do my own thing and not have to sacrifice for anybody else, and yet there's everyone begging you to make sacrifices. And so we're a little bit on edge right now. Why? Because discontentment reigns. Our faith, especially if we put it in any of those things, is not becoming the reality of what we hoped for. There's a gnawing discontent inside each of us, and we're looking for a place to set all of the weight of that hope. None of those toothpicks can stand underneath the weight of our hope for something better. Eventually, they will most certainly collapse. And if we allow our soul to gaze upon those things as if they're going to satisfy our deepest hopes, we will always feel crushed. The hope of our soul, the gaze of our soul is simply too heavy. If we think those are going to create the reality of what we cannot see, we will be sorely disappointed as we continue to find that that toothpick cannot support the weight of the boulder of our soul's hope. Faith's beginning point is discontent. Look at verse two. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. Now, Hebrews has been presenting throughout the entire letter that there's only one thing that can stand up under the weight of all of our hopes, and that thing is Jesus. He's better than any other flimsy toothpick we could ever try to shove under the weight of our soul's gaze. In fact, we're told here that it was by faith in God that the Old Testament heroes of the faith, quote, won God's approval. And then there's a list of them throughout Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just take a quick second there. What does it mean that they won God's approval by their faith? 
Now, we got to take any specific part of the Bible in relation to the entirety of the Bible. And so it's, it's good here to introduce another passage from another letter. This is Hebrew, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Faith is not a work that enables us to win God's approval and thus be saved. We are not saved by faith. What does Ephesians 2.8 say? We are saved by grace through faith. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And even that faith is a gift from God. For you are not saved by grace, or for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, so that no man can boast. The spirit of grace, that's what Hebrews chapter 10 called the Holy Spirit. The spirit of grace is the one who draws us into faith. Left to our own sin and our own flesh, we would not choose faith in God. So there's nothing for us to boast about. So through faith, anyone, whether today or in the days of these Old Testament uh, saints, we are saved by grace. By that grace, despite the reality of our sin, we are approved in God's sight. That's an important distinction. Faith begins with discontent, with the hope that there is a reality of something better than what we can currently see. And we are saved by the type of faith that ultimately receives God's grace for our salvation. The promise of all of his limitless and eternal goodness through faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith. Let's answer the second question. What is faith composed of? Jump down to Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Notice right away that there's a familiar phrase from Hebrews chapter 10. Those who draw near. How do we draw near? We draw near by faith in Jesus, by resting our soul's gaze and our discontentedness, our, we put our hope not on a toothpick, but on Jesus. And now Hebrews 11 verse six tells us that faith consists of two things. Number one is really simple. God exists. Hebrews eleven six says that we must believe that he exists. If you're going to draw near to God, then at the very base level, we must believe that he is real. You cannot place your hope upon something that's not real. Maybe the reason you don't have faith in Jesus is because you do not believe that God exists or that Jesus is who he said he was. I wanna encourage you. If you're watching this on Facebook or you're someone who's a part of our church but you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ because you've got some lingering questions about the truth that God exists or the reality of who Jesus is, we would love to give you some resources that could help you answer that question. And maybe... These social distancing measures have made it so that you've got plenty of time to explore life's most important question. Reach out to anyone on our staff. Send an email to us. Respond in the comments of this video on Facebook. We would love nothing more than to give you resources to answer that question. Maybe the reason, if you're someone who is a Christian, maybe the reason right now that you're looking to something else, you're, you're trying to put your hope onto something lesser is because you're uncertain of how to find God in the midst of all that is happening right now. The reality is that God, and we need to remind ourselves of this, exists right in the middle, even of a situation like the one that our world finds itself in right now. And it's not just that he exists in that place, it's that he is the second thing that Hebrews 
11, verse 6 says. It says that those who draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's not just that God exists, it's that God exists and God is good. We're not going to rest our hope for something better upon that which we do not believe to be good. If you're going to put your faith in something and believe that it can answer all of your soul's hope, that thing had better be very good. And God is good. To put it into the words of Reverend Rudy Bropla from, uh, he's a pastor in a town called Towns, uh, Shepherdstown, Washington. And uh, this line was actually recently in a Chance the Rapper song. It's borrowed right out of a sermon of his. He says, God is better than the world's best thing. God is better than the best thing the world has to offer. He, God is the universe's truest good. To put it into some more sort of classic Christian words. Here's a quote, it'll be on your screen from Jonathan Edwards. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be truly satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Everything else is but a shadow, but God is the substance. They are but scattered beams. God is the sun. They are but streams. God is the ocean. Let's go back to that boulder and that toothpick. You put your soul's gaze on anything other than God and that toothpick is bound to crumble. You put your faith, you set your soul's gaze, you put your hope and all of your discontent and all of your longings for contentment upon God and everything shifts. Because to God, the weight of our soul is but a toothpick. You can stack it on top of that boulder and be confident that the boulder is not ever going to move. It can bear the weight of your soul's gaze, of all your soul's hopes, while simultaneously bearing the weight of every other person's soul and every other person's hope. Now, there are times, and maybe you're in a season of this right now, where it feels like, even though you've, you've set your soul upon that boulder, it feels like the boulder is like square underneath a rain cloud, like you are Eeyore and there is one little cloud raining on you all the time. You're being stormed on, but that boulder is still there. There are times where it's going to feel like that boulder is entirely submerged below water and you are standing on your tiptoes gasping for air above a rushing or out of like a rushing stream or something. But that boulder is still there and it will always support the weight of your soul's gaze. It will always support the weight of your hope. Back up to Hebrews 11 verse 5 and let's just take a tangible example. One of the characters mentioned here is Enoch. Now, Enoch gets like four verses in Genesis chapter five. You could go back and read the story of Enoch. It's, it's more like a paragraph of Enoch in Genesis chapter five, verses 21 to 24. Here's what Hebrews has to say about it. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not found, or he was, uh, he was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. The story in Genesis tells us that Enoch had a child at the age of 65. And after that, he walked with the Lord for 300 years. What happened? We can't be entirely sure, but something about becoming a father caused a toothpick in Enoch's life to come crashing down. And so what did he do? 
He put his soul's gaze upon God. He put his hopes upon God. He took all of his discontent and he looked to the Lord. He rested himself upon God and he walked with God for the remainder of his life. Something happened, having a child, that caused everything in Enoch's life to shift. Enoch saw hope that was made reality by faith in God. So he put his hope there and he walked with God for the rest of his life. That, brothers and sisters, is an example of what it looks like for discontent to lead to faith and for that faith to become reality. It happened by faith in God, not by faith in something lesser. God exists. He always has and he always will. He exists in the middle of where we find ourselves right now and God is good. He always has been and he always will be. He's good in the middle of this spot where we find ourselves right now. And we can set the gaze of our soul upon him in this space and know with 100% certainty that he can and he will sustain the weight of our soul, sustain the weight of our hope, bring contentment in the middle of our discontent. And anytime we allow our eyes to look to something else, we will see that thing crumble and we will be left with discontentment. So as a follower of Jesus, someone who is gospel-centered, something we talk a lot about here at Liberty Christian Fellowship, to be gospel-centered means that we gaze our soul upon God all the time. And anytime we feel that sense of discontentment, we do a little inventory and we see where it is that we've placed our faith. And we remind ourselves that even in that thing, God exists and God is good. That's what our faith consists of. And we get ourselves re-squared up on the boulder. Question number three, what is faith's result? There's a recurring theme in Hebrews chapter 11. I asked you when you read the verses to uh, count how many times the phrase by faith is used. It's a really rhythmic kind of chapter. Uh, The answer is 21 times. The word faith is used 26 total times, just in the first 22 verses uh, of Hebrews chapter 11. And so let's answer our last question. What is faith's result? Well, faith results in action. Why? Well, because if your hope is at rest in a God who can bear up under its weight and deliver on all of its deepest longings, you're now free to live in response to him rather than in response to your discontentment. And so what happens? Well, just look through the first 22 Uh, verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Abel makes an acceptable sacrifice. Enoch walks with the Lord. Noah builds an ark, even though he's never seen rain. Abraham leaves his home and goes to where God called him. Sarah has a child, even though she's well beyond childbearing age. Abraham is willing to offer his son, despite knowing that the fulfillment of God's promise was to come through him. Isaac blessed Esau and Jacob. Joseph speaks of an exodus that he's not going to take part in and that he has no tangible knowledge of. Why? Because they were convinced to their core that God exists and that he is good. And that what he calls them to, what he leads them through, what he commands them to do is ultimately good. They believed to the very core of their being that in acting by faith in him, there was greater satisfaction than anywhere else. I want to invite you to think hard about what it might mean for you to place your faith in God in this season. He's there and he's good. And all your hopes for whatever this time might look like, all your hopes for this time to be over, this social distancing time to be done, for coronavirus to be a thing of the past, to never have to use the word quarantine again, all of that hope, God is in the middle of this. 
and he's there. And if we set our soul's gaze upon him, we have faith in him, it ought to create action for us in this season. What does it mean to act in response to that faith in this time? What can you trust him with during this time? How will that lead you to faith-filled action in this season? Next week, TA is gonna pick up in Hebrews 11, verse 23, and he's gonna work down through the end of the chapter in verse 40. And he's gonna talk about how faith impacts our forward-thinking decisions. I'm kind of talking about how faith impacts our past decision to rest our faith upon God and our present decisions to act in faith. Right now, what's it look like to have faith? What's it look like to believe that in this time, this season of COVID-19 and social distancing and what feels like isolation, what's it look like for faith to create action in that space? I want to suggest to you that this time could be a sacred time rather than an annoyance. I wanna invite you to consider that this season that we're in right now could be a time that God uses to mold you and form you in a way that he could not have done otherwise. That one of God's great graces will be that if by faith we press into him and we move into our relationship with him and we seek him and we put our hope upon him, that whatever happens during this season could not have happened any other way. That the specific kind of action that our faith inspires in us during this time would create something in our lives or inside of us that God could not have done had he not separated us into this little time and said, I've got something for you in this because I exist here and I'm good here. Let's do a little bit of applying as we close. If you're someone who's never received God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ, again, I want to ask you to assess what your faith is in and whether it can actually bear the weight of your soul's hope. How does that thing fall short? Where does it leave you discontent or frustrated or hurt or feeling hopeless or disappointed? How many times has that toothpick crumbled or how many times have you shifted uh, to a different toothpick and seen that crumble? It could be time for you to flip that scenario around and to set the gaze of your soul and the hope of your soul upon the boulder of God's love. He exists and he's good and he's demonstrated his supreme goodness in the giving of his son for you. By God's grace, you can receive the forgiveness of your sin, the salvation of your soul, and the satisfaction of your life, both here and for all of eternity. If you would receive Christ by faith, take hold of that grace and be brought into the family of God. If you're a Christian, I wanna encourage you over the next two months or longer or shorter, In this season, ask yourself continually how the reality of God and his goodness meets your soul's deepest hopes and then live in response to him. What does that mean for these days in particular? If you're a Christian and you're really struggling right now, there's anxiety and there's discontent and there's a sense of uh, uncertainty in this season, I want you to ask yourself hard questions about what is functionally driving your living. Have the realities of what we're experiencing now momentarily shifted your gaze to something other than Jesus? Are you looking to something that can't support the weight of your hopes to bring you contentment? And I wanna invite you to shift your gaze back to Jesus. Maybe spend some time asking and answering these questions before you go about whatever else your Sunday is going to, to entail. Be honest, press in, 
monitor your frustrations, your concerns, your disappointments in the coming days, and then ask, ask probing questions about where you're looking to kind of ease those feelings or to bring contentment to your discontentment. How does God interact with those? What promises does he make regarding his ability to provide contentment in that area? Those promises are evidence of his goodness. They're evidence that he exists and that he's good and that he can support the weight of our soul. We're gonna sing one final song as we close here. And that song is entitled, His Mercy Is More. Uh, I just want to invite us to remind ourselves to sing a truth and declare a truth that even in this season and even in all of our soul's brokenness and all of our soul's discontent, God's mercy is more. Let's sing together. It's like 32 minutes.